Father, I'm impressed when I stop to think about the greatness of our God and the fact that you actually love us, that you stoop to our level, you are interested in us, and that you ask us to come to you, you ask us to surrender to you. This morning, and we are looking at some of these things. I pray that you will be honored. That Jesus Christ would be exalted. You would touch our hearts and lives. Do your work. And us and do us. Be glorified. For this time I pray in Jesus' name. Church is a body. Made up of individuals and people, it's like a family, and uh, all of us have our little areas of interest and passions and preferences. A lot of times, these areas of interest and these little preferences conflict within the body. Some of us will want one thing, some of us another. You've heard of debates and arguments that have ensued over churches where people are divided on the color of the carpet or the type of music or the type of uh, translation of Bible. Yeah, translation of Bible is a good one. Yeah. We can do that and we can become bitter. We can do that any way, any place, any time, I, I guess. Because we're all self-centered, and I, I have strong will, things I prefer, and I'm sure you do too. And we can see that displayed in church. We can see it displayed in politics, where we have different kinds of opinions and different passions, and, and people even getting upset, fighting over it. We see a lot of division that takes place. And um, but the place that should not happen is in the church. It shouldn't happen anywhere. But the church especially because it's made up of individuals who claim to follow Jesus Christ as Lord. We have in our constitution um, policy that uh, we as elders do not make a serious decision unless there is absolute unanimous agreement among all the elders. If there's uh, not just a majority, but it has to be a unanimous agreement. And that's because hopefully all of us love the Savior and are in touch with the head. And he is not confused with what he wants. And so he can communicate his preference to us. And so we think that's an important position. We've been counseled by different people and different things, but that's one of the policies that we have. And we, we, uh, we've had to adhere to that. But that just means basically that in the church, which is his body, we should be in contact with the head, who is the head of the body, who is the savior, and we should be serious about loving him and following him and seeking his will. And uh, that's also true, not only with making policies, but with just relations with each other, different things that we have. And that's kind of where we are coming 
we started out in Bolton, you have a, an outline of what we've gone through in the past. We started out by just recognizing mm. that there is, the Bible uses the phrase new man or old man, a description that describes the Christian and part of the Christian's makeup. <clears throat> All of us come into the world and we are descendants of Adam and we carry in that descendancy the makeup of being self-centered and spiritually dead and greedy and that is referred to among other terms as being the old man that's what we were like uh, when we came into the world and uh, you all know how kids are how they want that what they want very determined to have it and kick and scream sometimes but they can't get it and i said kids but that's also true many times with adults. Yeah. We uh, we may not kick and scream, but we have ways of being able to let people know that we're displeased with the Didn't decision. we turn that speaker in there for her? We can do that kind of thing. They don't have a speaker anymore there. But she said she can hear him. When we okay. come to Christ and we surrender our lives to him, he begins the work in our hearts to remake us. And uh, we cease being the old man and we become the new man. We have a new heart. The Spirit of God is working in our lives. So we are told in Scripture, and that's what we've been looking at, that we are to take off what they were like a garment. And they use that kind of terminology. Take off the old man, the, the personality of what we were like in Adam. And we are to put on Christ-like characteristics, Christ-like attitudes. And that is to be part of our makeup. And what makes this sort of interesting is that we know from Scripture, and we're going to see that this morning, that the ability of doing that comes from the Holy Spirit, and from the Word of God in our lives. That it is God that gives us the ability. He's the, the one that gives us the fruits, as it is described in Galatians, the fruit of what? Spirit. Through the Spirit. He's the one that generates that. And yet we're told as we're going to see this morning that that fruit is we are to put it on. We are to practice it. So the old man is dead. The new man is now alive and there is this beginning transformation during Sunday school class. I don't remember exactly the context but we talked about uh, miracles and the power of miracles in our lives. And I think the, the greatest miracle that is still going on to this day is the miracle of the transformed heart. Where when a person surrenders his life to Jesus, the Spirit of God comes in and gives him a new heart. I know absolutely for certain that had not the Lord come into my life and taken over my life, I would not be very interested in teaching the Bible, would not be interested in reading the Bible. I certainly wouldn't be interested in meeting with God's people. In fact, before I was saved, there were things that I wanted that I prayed to God about, and I wasn't a believer. I was a kid, but I had I was raised in a family. I have a grandmother who was a God woman. She prayed a lot, and we talked a lot about the Lord. But to get my way about things, I promised the Lord that I would go to church five times if he would do this. <laughs> would do that. I'm very glad that that didn't materialize because the church I would have been going to 
was the home church there in Wake Forest, and it was liberal instead. And uh, better off not going. I was in the so I used to go to the bus station at the time to go to church. And um, <clears throat> but what I'm saying is that we we uh, manipulate God sometimes to get what we want. But the Lord is He is faithful. He's the one that changes our heart, gives us a new heart, gives us new abilities. And that's sort of what we are looking at here uh, as we talk about this new man. And, and uh, there's some areas of, and you can see it there in the outline, some application of things. And that's what we're going to, to start on here this morning. I want you to read with me, beginning in verse 12 to 14. It's a short text. We've read it several times. But it begins uh, concluding the previous thought. He says, the, the, uh, so there's the elect of God, holy and beloved. We are, because of that, because we are the elect of God, because we are termed holy and beloved as God's children, we are to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and graciously forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord graciously forgave you, so also should you. Above all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. First thing that uh, you notice when you begin to look at that text, it's, a, it's God's word, that he, those terms, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, are terms that, are relational that they are true as we as people are living together and functioning that we are to be gentle and we are to be kind and we are to be patient verse 13 says we are to be bearing with one another and graciously forgiving one another notice the re re repetition of the phrase one another in there a lot of, a lot of interesting and then further on down he talks about the bond of unity that in the midst of a group like this, a church, where we have many people, many favorite things, many passions and things like that, and differing opinions, yet there needs to be this maturing bond of unity within our midst, which is in, an indication that the Spirit of God and the Word of God are working in our lives. It's, it's demonstrated. The church is a demonstration of the work of Christ in our lives and uh it's demonstrated in the individuals and it's demonstrated as the individuals meet together and function together in the body we love each other now sometimes when we have meetings together we will tease each other and make sarcastic remarks <laughs> i would not do that of course <laughs> But we might do that, but it is not an indication we don't leave and love each other. It is an indication that we do. It may be debated whether we love ourselves more than we love the people we're teaching. I'm not going to argue about that. But anyway, all that being said, as the as the body is gathered together as individuals, there is this bond of unity that should permeate in our hearts and our lives. And so we have these things that characterize our hearts and uh, just have a couple of moments. So let me just go through two or three of them quickly. It says put on a heart of compassion. The word heart there uh, is a term that has to do with uh, inward hearts 
of the body. It sounds kind of interesting. You could use kidneys or lung or stomach or whatever. Uh, you, but it doesn't make sense. But the the uh, application of that in that culture is that it is to be a real serious commitment to passion. The word passion, <clears throat> there's several words you could translate, but probably one of the best words is the word pity. Put on a heart of pity, of being uh, sympathetic or being willing to pity other people. Um, it, it talks about the having a deep a gut level if you will a passion or feeling of mercy or compassion or pity for other people um and this is not just it is there's some people that we that they're easy to feel sorry for you know when someone like we saw earlier today stands up to give word of testimony and she's very nervous or we all encourage her we want to and, and tell her, support her and everything because we care for her and we care for her more see her. But sometimes there are people that uh, we, we may be judging kind of harshly, but we still have, have to have pity. We are to have that kind of compassion, that kind of gentle love. What's interesting to me is when I started looking at this and uh, there are passages that talk about um, Pity, or it's translated mercy uh, and other passages, but it's the same word. The scripture says in Luke chapter 6, verse 36, uh, the, the command comes from the Lord to be merciful, just as your father is merciful. So this ability to have compassion or be merciful uh, is something that comes from God. It's his characteristic. It is his likeness. It's his uh, gift, if you will, among the things that he's working in our lives. He wants us to display pity toward each other. <clears throat> he wants us to care for each other. Um, Romans 12, Therefore I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies or pity, mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. If you see that verse in Romans 12, if you back up to Romans 11, and the verses, it is talking about the massive grace, the provision of salvation that God has provided at such expense to go into such deep level to make us secure by sacrificing himself and his son on our behalf. And because of this, we are told here in this passage, because of this greatness of God's pity or mercy for us, we are to put ourselves down before God as a living sacrifice to him. What a pleasure and a privilege that is. We may think of it in terms of, oh, what do you think of who God is and what he's done and the greatness of that it is a reasonable response in fact that's, that's what he's talking about a reasonable service of worship it's, it's the very least we can do to give ourselves to one who's given so much on our behalf Matthew 9 is using the same idea Matthew 9 or same word Matthew 9 36 says seeing the crowd Jesus felt compassion for him so Jesus also was one who had compassion 
for people. Do you understand that? He is, he is the example for us. The next word in that list, and I'm moving kind of quickly, but we're not going to have a lot of time, is the word kindness. Um, and by the way, this, this one is in the fruit of the Spirit. And it talk, talks about that among the things that the Spirit generates is kindness. It's described, um, describes the salvation of God. Titus says this in Titus chapter 3. We ourselves also once were foolish. This is what we were like, he's saying. We were disobedient. We were deceived. Uh, we were enslaved with various lusts and pleasures. And this testimony, I'm sure, would apply to me and would apply to you before conversion. <laughs> that you were once were foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy and despicable even get this hating one another, which is exactly the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing. But when the kindness, and here's the word, the kindness and affection of God, our Savior, appeared, when it, when it, the, the, the word appeared, there it just became visible to us. He saved us, not by the works which he did in righteousness, but according to his mercy, through which, through the the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. That washing there uh, is what God does in salvation. Cleansing, we sometimes use the word God wants us to be clean, like the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, like the fruit uh, in John 15, abiding in the vine. And uh, it, it, it cleanses us because we are dirty, we are polluted, we are defiled. Um, if you know the Jewish sacrificial system, you know there was a system of cleansing and preparing, and it was a picture that we are dirty and we are we need to be cleaned. That's what Peter found out when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, and he told Jesus that you're never going to never actually double make never in a circumstance you're going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, "The power washes feet. You have no purpose, no no fortune me." And so Peter said, "Well, you don't stop in my feet." Do my head and my body and everything washed me all over. And uh, you, you get that idea that Peter was somewhat committed to making sure that things were right, but he always seemed to put his foot in his mouth at the wrong time and kind of stumbled with it. But he had a heart for that. And the idea is Jesus said, if you're cleansed, then you don't need to have a rebat, just uh, get your feet clean and stuff like that. So here is this passage talking about God's kindness, which works in our hearts and in, in, in the lives. And uh, that, that he is he is good to us. He is kind to us in a holy, in a righteous way. It's not just goodness, but it's goodness and righteousness, goodness and, and holy things. The next word is the word humility. It speaks of lowness of mind. Um, maybe the best way to see it is the opposite of pride. Because all of us have struggle with pride. I do, and I'm sure you do too. And and if somebody says something sarcastic or makes fun of us about something or part of our heritage or our background or whatever, we take offense and we get we get wounded. And then no matter what they say or do after that, we can't think about it because we're still festering over what was said the first time. That's 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 the problem with pride. Um, this word is is uh, translated in. I'm not going to look it up, but the Philippians 2, 3, it's translated humility of mind. In um, Colossians 2, 18, it's translated 
self-abasement. I think it's twice, uh, 218 and 223. Self-abasement uh, is, is what he's saying here. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing to be uh, humble. It is a bad thing to be prideful. God knows how, by the way, and that and pride is what he has to deal with. God knows how to deal with pride. And probably, I, I don't know if I can make a firm case, but I think it, that we can demonstrate that pride is one of the big things that God has to deal with when we come to Christ. Because we are very self-centered and very arrogant. But you, you know, he really knows how to deal with it. He really knows how to humble us. He really knows how to put us on our face and teach us we who think we have everything together are really nothing really nothing before him and so um he knows how to give us bring us to that point of humility um we're told in first peter 5 5 also to clothe ourselves with humility so that humility is something that is very obvious it's a it's a it's a demeanor Almost that identifies us as a as a follower of the Lord. You know, you can't see the Lord. You can't understand who He is. You can't read the Scriptures, which you should do. You should do it every day. You can't do that without being humble before Him. And if you don't have a regular diet of God's Word, you're not going to be humble. It's going to be hard. You, you're in a world in which uh, we're told to grab all the gusto we can and live for ourselves and. You know, if you don't look after yourself, nobody else will, and so on and so forth. And that's the world. And that's the world that's dying. That's the world that's coming on the recent day under God's judgment. And so we need to be humble before him. God can do it. Put yourself under the limelight of his spirit working through his word uh, every day. Volunteer yourself. Read the Psalms are such a powerful voice. David is so effective in opening his heart and letting us see what it's like to live in the presence of the Lord and to see how it, that, that humbles us as well as challenges us, as well as encourages us, as well as strengthens us. The relationship with David. I think the Psalms are probably one of the, my favorite portions of Scripture. And when I read through the Bible, which I try to do every year, when I get to the Psalms, I read them out loud. And uh, it's, sometimes you almost want to sing. It's so so good. Other times you almost want to weep because it's so moving. It's, it's the word of the greatest king uh, outside of the Lord who Israel ever had. And he said, the Lord has provided a number of men who've been good leaders, had their hearts changed. David, is, he was a man after God's heart. He's a, he's a great man. And then the um, next one is um, gentleness, which is, I could have heard, gentleness, product of the Holy Spirit. Which also is found in Galatians 2, 23, and I didn't mention that, but humility is also is, is uh, associated with the not the exact same word, but the idea in the gifts of the Spirit. In James uh, chapter 1, we are told to put aside sin and we are to receive the word with humility implanted. That's an important statement just to make a point of it. Uh, because if you read the word, it's going to step on your toes. And you're probably not going to like some of the things it says. I, I encourage people, I, I try to get people to listen to Grace to You, which is a good application. But John, after all, you can, you can hear John McCarthy teach the Bible, but you're going to be offended at times. 
And people say I'm offended about that. Well, you should be offended by that. Especially over the years. That's right. <laughs> but it's not just the years. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of other areas in which you had people walk out of the service when we talked about the headship of the man over the woman in the marriage. And the man, people didn't like that. But that's what the Bible says. What God said. Can't change what scripture said. And so, um, and I, that's what I like about John. He's faithful. And so anyway, we receive the word with humility. And the phrase, and I'm not going to make a thing about it, but implanted means it's supposed to be bearing fruit in your heart, bearing fruit in your life. Uh, and if you read it, meditate on it, it, it will do that. It will begin to work. Um, change one, James 3.13, we are to show uh, by his by his good conduct in his works and gentleness of wisdom, um, that that's confusing. But the the uh, receiving of the word with humility um, works its way out in gentleness of wisdom. Wisdom uh, practicing wisdom in that context there has to do with um, with not with violence, not with arrogance, but gentle. But it's extremely effective and extremely powerful. If you receive the word there in that, that passage, you want to look it up yourself later. I don't have time. James 3.13, you can do that. Uh, it's, a, it's a good passage that just helps us know that, that receiving the word with humility and having it work on our conduct is a good thing. The next word is the word patience. Um, but let me say something about that. Usually, in the New Testament, the word patience is used, it does mean to be patient in circumstances, uh, patient in things and difficulties. And you know, uh, for example, we had a good example here with my son's well going out and not having any water. And uh, it was, you, you didn't have water for how long? 10 months. 10 months, okay. 10 months. It's sort of a long time to be without, sorry to be without taking a shower if you didn't take a shower. Did but it's a long time to not have water in your house. It really is. And patience, you, you learn, if you don't have patience, you learn at that time that you need to get it because it's, it's a time of stress and it really is. Patience is with things is, is that. But this word here that he's talking about here is not patience. Actually, it better be translated long-suffering. Long-suffering is not so much patience with circumstances or things as it is patience with people. Yes, David. And we all know that. I think everybody in this room has people that have long loved and prayed for and longed to see God's work. And uh, we haven't. Uh, long suffering. And we'll see. We'll stop at this one. Um, long suffering is on display in Ephesians chapter 4. You can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Paul writes in verse 1 
Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, exhort, exhort you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep, here it is again, the unity of the Spirit within the bond of peace. And that's there, the word in the middle of our word, but there are others that connect with it, the word patience. Now, I don't know if you picked it up, but all of these have a connection with the fruit of the Spirit, which tells us something, doesn't it? It tells us that these terms here that we're talking about are terms that simply describe the normal Christian life. We are to be like Christ, and we are to display his Christ-like attitude in our relations with each other, in our relations with circumstances and things that take place. His life, his work, his, his character should be displayed. Um, we used to have a little slogan, what would Jesus do? Well, we already know what he would do. We've seen his life and we have his example and we want to emulate that example. It's not always easy. How do we know what his life is like? How do we know where these things are? How do we know how he would respond in these things? A lot of times when the emergency comes, we don't have exactly the image in front of us at that moment. But if we are familiar with God's word, which we should be, if we read it and become familiar with it, and you need to do that because that's your bread. That really is. That's where you get your life. That's where you get your meat. Don't be just like babies. You want to take solid meat. No, God will use it in your life. You need it. You really do need it. And that's why I, I, I had talked with Frank outside there the other day about the Grace for You app. And uh, but I encourage that to a lot of people because the app puts some good meat into your Bible study that you don't get unless you have to be an unusual good church or whatever. So it's important. It's really important to be in the word and let the word be in you and control your heart and your life. Let me, uh, so these are some of the things that we are to put on. Not being very clear on this. Let me close in prayer. Dear Father, we do thank you for uh, thank you for the testimony this morning of camp and what you were doing there. And I do thank you for the camp. A lot of things going on that we don't hear about. But I do thank you. Thank you for the people. Thank you for the privilege that is ours to be laborers together with yourself and to try to touch these lives. So thinking of Annie, we were earlier, Lord, I, my heart really goes out to her. And I just ask you to help us not to just this all, but to really ask ourselves how we can help, how we can be involved, and to be used to you. Help us to really pray for her and ask you to really work in her life and her heart. And her mom, her mom is really bad shape. She really needs you. And there's a source of love. So just pray for this family. You're bigger than the problems. We can, we we really do. Everyone in this room makes a big mess of our lives. Unless we really bring it under your lordship. So help us to do that and help us to be vessels of mercy and answer and answers to the people who are going through crisis in their lives. And uh, I pray this is a church, this is your hospital for things to send. So I pray you help us to function as we should and to be active and effective in your hands, your Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.